Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So last week, we began a, a new journey. If you were just joining us, either live or online, we started our new journey in this new series called New Creation. We started with this big concept that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we actually are beginning a whole new process of life and that we are turning in an old life for a new life and we were something old that now becomes new and the word and the scriptures call us a literal new creation. So there's nothing fancy about our series title, it's just in the Bible. So we're a new creation. And in this lies a tension. There's a tension that lives in the idea of a new creation. And we explored this. Our experiences and our faith journey skew what we think about God and what it means to follow him. Let me say this again, because this is so important for us to understand what we're talking about today. Our experiences or our faith journey skew what we think about God and what it means to follow him. Going back a little bit, we talked about, depending if you grew up in the church or not, if this is a new experience for you, uh, you're like, man, I don't know anything you're talking about. You know, I saw like preachers on TV. That's my experience of church. This is all new to me. And you're talking about things I don't really quite understand yet, but I'm starting to understand a little bit. And I have a view of God based on my experiences. And your experience could be like, I knew Christians. There was a Christian lady who was my teacher in second grade. She was super mean and yelled at us all the time. Therefore, Christians are super mean and yell at us all the time, right? So that's your experience. And so you bring that experience, what you've experienced over here, into what you think and feel about how God is. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was very authoritative and wasn't kind to you. And so when you hear the words that God is my father, you just cringe. And you're like, that experience to me that God is my father does not give me warm fuzzies. In fact, it actually makes me want to run in the opposite direction because of your experience. If you grew up in the church, let's say you grew up in a church that was very religious, do these things, don't do these things. And so God for you became this list of rules. And if you're a kid learning these list of rules, let's just be 100% honest right now, God is no fun. Because he tells you not to do any of the fun things. He have to do boring things like go sit to some guy on a stage talking to me for 35, if it's Jason, 45 minutes. It's boring. I don't like that. I can't do anything fun. I can't listen to the music I want to. I can't dance. I can't do this. I can't, can't, can't. So God has now become to you this list of rules. And this list of rules is in conflict of really what you enjoy in life. Or maybe you grew up in a religious background in which church for you, God is someone who is very, very, very far away and he is very, very distant, and you talk to him on Sundays. Sunday is the day, and depending, maybe even Saturday, and I talk to him then, and then the rest of the week is my time. I did my God time, now it's my time. And so there's really no connection between what's happening on Sundays and the rest of your week. And just think about this. I just listed 
a few of all these multiple experiences that we can have as people, and we start to put them together, and we start to say, okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. But the problem that rests in this is your experiences is not the truth of the word of God. Only the word of God is truth. And the word of God says, it doesn't matter what your experiences are, you are called to be a new creation, which means you turn in the old way, no matter what it is, and you now pick up the new way. So the new way is the same for all of us, regardless of your story. There's still a tension that lies there because even though we are trying to do this in the back of our mind, we're still like, I hear what you're saying and I want that, but the story of my past keeps influencing what I really think about God. And so that creates a tension in our faith walk. We explored that tension last week. But one of the tensions we talked about comes from Romans 12, that actually the Apostle Paul is teaching us something that for us to get into this new creation thinking Something huge has to happen in our lives. I'll go over this again, Romans 12, 1 to 2. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's two major themes here. One, my life isn't about me anymore. I am a living sacrifice. Every day I'm alive, I'm giving my life away, and I'm giving it to God in his ways to serve his purposes and his kingdom every single day. And the way that this is accomplished is I have to rethink the way I think about life. I have to rethink, reformulate, and actually throw away the old playbook to pick up the new playbook. And so now this new playbook is kind of weird because it doesn't make sense to our old playbook. And so we spend the rest of our lives working on what does it mean to follow God and the kingdom of heaven. So if there's a tension in your life, this is a big tension, the tension of your life, is it possible that you're trying to play out of both playbooks at the same time? I want my old way with some of the new way. I like this old stuff. And the stuff you're saying over here is good, so I'm going to take the God stuff I like and my old self that I like, and I blend it together, and I call that Christianity. And what I call that, to be quite honest with you, is absolute hot flaming garbage. Because that tension in your life is going to cause you more confusion, and you are going to say, but I like my old way better anyways, and so you start to reject the things of God. Or you start to say, well, society says that we're supposed to X, Y, and Z, and because I kind of like that, and I kind of like that, I'm going to go with what society or culture or social media says because that's more comfortable to me. I wish it was that easy, friends, but that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says you have to renew your mind and you pick up the kingdom of God even if you don't like it. That's just what the Word says. So if you don't like it, I didn't write the book, I'm just telling you what it says. So... We have to either pick, either we have a renewing of our mind, we are living sacrifices, or we're living in our old way. And the scripture calls us to reject the old, to become the new. So this was all last week. So I'm just catching up. You're like, wow, I should listen to the sermon. But we kept going on because that now moves us into the way that we think about death and our lives. Because when we renew our mind and rethink the way that we 
uh, think about our life and existence, we find in 2 Corinthians 5 that actually we as new creations really don't want to be here anymore because we've realized that the earth and life and the world, the American dream, everything that we have worked so hard for is really not that great. And we start to say, man, this world has nothing to offer for me. I long for things of heaven. And what is it going to be like to have no more pain and sickness? And we start to dream and think about the future of heaven. And the scriptures tell us this in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 2. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, this is our body, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So this world and our life, like we just know that something isn't right. And so the closer we get to Jesus, the more we're the new creation, the more that we are kingdom-minded, we're like, you know what, this place isn't really that great. And so we start to groan and say, I want to be with Jesus. And if you've ever been around that person, and I never understood this until these, this time of my life, middle-aged, rounding second, heading towards home, right? And you see that person who's lived a faithful life, and that person's on their deathbed, and they say, look, I just want to be with Jesus. And you're like, how could you say that? How could you be so willing just to give up? Don't you want to fight to live? Don't you want to be? And this person's saying, I've fought the good fight. I've done what the Lord has called me. I just want to be with my maker. And that is what this verse is talking about. But it doesn't have to be on our deathbed. It can happen to us right now at any age that we are so kingdom-minded that the kingdom of earth is kind of meh. It's all right. We're not that interested. My heart, my soul, my passion is the kingdom of God. That is what it means to be a new creation. So an obvious thing starts to come up here. Then we'd start to say, okay, if I don't really want to be here, I am a new creation. I just don't want to be here anymore. What am I supposed to do? And the word tells us something huge. Your purpose then is not to win this world but to win eternity. And by winning, this is the word, we need to run the race set out by Christ, the new creation he has given us, kingdom-minded, so that everything we do points towards eternity because down here isn't great. So we stop trying to achieve the American dream, getting all the money, getting the 401k, get that, get, 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 whatever it is. This is fleeting. This for eternity, which lasts forever, this is my goal, this is my prize, and I dream about this all of the time. We exchange the old for the new. Now, our problem is that we don't really think about this enough. Our problem, and it's a good problem, is that every day we are faced with the same things. We go through the same life. We go to Piggly Wiggly, we buy our hard hand, we get our rolls, we eat the same lunch every Sunday. You know you do, because I see you there sometimes. We get the same, we just go through our routines, and all of a sudden, 18 becomes 62. And we say, what just happened to my life? Did I do anything that mattered? Did I make an impact? Did I change anybody's life? God, did, did I do anything that's worthwhile? God, is there something in my last years that are worth the time? I'm 62, and then 62 becomes 75. 
And 75 says, I can't move like I used to when I was 18. Did I waste all those years when I was healthy and could have used my body to serve? And now 75 becomes 85. And 85, if Lord willing, becomes 95. And as your years start ticking on, you start to keep asking these questions more and more. Did I waste my life? Did I do something that's going to matter? Did I make an impact on my community, on my family? Was I a good dad? Was I a good father? Was I a good mom? Did I love well? Did I serve well? Did I do what God asked me to do, or did I live for myself? Because here's the thing we're going to explore today. Everything that you do in your life, we groan for heaven. Everything that you do in your life matters for eternity. Absolutely everything. Everything that we do matters for eternity. And for now, there are going to be things in which you encounter, which are for now, which are going to be burned up and don't matter for eternity. But the things in which you do for eternity, for the kingdom's sake, for what you do for God and what he has for us and his kingdom will last forever and you get rewarded for it. You get rewarded for it. Now, this is going to blow your mind a little bit because I still can't understand this, but God is going to reward you for following the way in which he set out for you, in which he gave you the power to do it with the Holy Spirit. And so he gives you all the power to do it and then rewards you for doing what he already said for you to do. The tension that we're going to have this morning as we explore it is sometimes we don't want to do what he says. Sometimes we don't want the life that he has for us. Sometimes I don't want to be generous, and sometimes I don't like that person who cut me off, so I'm going to single, signal him with a finger in show and to throw my entire faith walk out. I don't care right now. I'm just so mad. I'm just not going to care right now because you know what? That person who lives next to me is the biggest jerk in the world, and I don't want to even love the neighbor next to me, let alone love my neighbors, my community, or the world. We're going to come up with our own excuses and say, I don't want to do what God says. But when we do what God says, he rewards us. If you don't do what he says, we're going to find out that it's burned up and gone forever. And so that's where we dig into our passage today. If you want to read your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're in 2 Corinthians still, chapter 5. We're going to be just in two verses. And then we're going to take a journey through these two verses that's going to take us all over the word but you're going to see what we're talking about today when we talk about how what we do matters because we have rewards in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 8 to 10. It says this, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's what we just talked about. But now listen to this, verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away, for it, away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Let me read this again, because maybe you've never heard this verse before, or I guarantee you probably haven't thought about it this week unless you read ahead in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me say this again. We'll start at verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. So here, anywhere, we make it our goal to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. As new creations, we want to be back with our creator. We've already talked about that. We want and we long to get back to this. 
But we have a key note here. We have an, an entire life that is for us to live in which our goal is to please God. What is your goal of the day? Here are the five goals. I got to get my garbage done. I got da 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 da. Number one, please God. Every day, this is the, what's the purpose of life? Please God. You just, there you go. There's your purpose of life. Write a book about it. Please God. Every single day, no matter what I do, if I'm taking out the garbage, if I'm going to work, if I'm being married, if I'm being a, a parent, if I'm being a neighbor, if I'm driving a Piggly Wiggly, if I get my hot ham and they never seem to have enough, and I'm always the guy who has to wait for the hot ham, you know? When waiting for your hot ham, no matter what I do, I please God. No matter what you do on Mondays, pleases God. On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, well, that's an easy one. I'll go to church when I feel like it. But I'll go to church when I feel like it. So there's, I check that bar off. But then in the afternoon, guess what your goals are? To please God. It is a never-ending obsession for new creations. And we're processing through this lens of is what I am doing or about to do pleasing to God. The silence in the room is the weight that is weighing on you when you're thinking, oh no, Jason can read my mind. He knows what I did this week. He knows. Like, there's no way that a pastor's going to go up there and preach a sermon like this, and he's, God must have told him that I did things that didn't please him. The truth is, he did not, and I cannot. The feeling, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And if something comes to your mind in which you did not please him, I'm begging you to repent. Because there is no room for our lives to have things which do not please him. And I'm going to tell you why, friends. If I can help you understand this now, when you come before Jesus face to face, which you're going to and we're going to talk about, you, that which is done for today and does not please him is burnt away and gone. That which is done for eternity lasts forever. And when we're doing things that don't please him, when we're living outside of this new creation, the tension starts. And we start to say, well, maybe it isn't that big of a deal. I don't know if any of you have ever been on a health journey. I shared with you that I'm on this health journey where I just eat sticks and grass. It's a great health journey. I love it. Um, let me tell you how health journeys go. If you've never done this before, um, you're not going to quite understand. I'll explain it. But those who've been on a health journey, I'll explain this to you. When you go on a health journey and start to eat healthy, the first day is like, I'm going to eat healthy. And you go and you buy all these vegetables and fruits. And you've decided that you're going to eat healthy. You're going to drink water a gallon a day. You're going to go out for workouts every day. And you are just gangbusters. Day two, three comes. You're like, you know, I love to eat that apple, but a little bit of potato chips with that apple sounds delicious. <laughs> week one comes, week two comes. And you're like, I love the thought of being healthy. Um, I'll get back to that someday, but right now, I'm hungry. And you just want to eat whatever you want to eat. And so slowly, this health journey starts going away until you're back to what is normal diet. And they call that yo-yo dieting. Big thing of the 80s. We've said, man, you can't do that. You've got to change your lifestyle. You have to change the way you think. You have to change 
a renewing of your mind about your relationship to food. And so yo-yo dieters who've been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, is because they let just a little bit in, and that little bit moves to a little bit more, and at the end, you're like, I just don't care anymore. It's not that big of a deal. I can eat a whole bag of chips and still be healthy. You start to believe that. The truth is, that's not how that works. A little bit starts to change that we, the way that we think. And so as new creations, we either accept that God has a brand new way for us and our goal is to please him, or we don't. Either I'm taking things through the lens of, is this pleasing to God, or I don't. But sometimes we know things that aren't pleasing to God and we just don't want to do it. And then we're just like little brats. We just stomp our feet. And like, God, I just don't. And you stomp your feet at God. You don't understand how hard my week was. I just want to do whatever I want. You don't understand my relate, blah, blah, blah. Make all these excuses and we're right back to where we are. So maybe this idea of new creation is more intense than we're actually taking it credit for because we're getting this warning, shot, this warning sign, this bow shot that everything we do has to please him because we are going to be before the judgment seat of Christ. And everything that we have done in this body, whether good or bad, is on the table. And you. There should be a new type of tension in our life right now. That if this is true, what does this mean? So I'm going to take you on a journey of scripture right now. We're going to go into Revelation. And what you're going to see in Revelation, we're going to go before the great white throne in Revelation chapter 20. Great white throne, the judgment of Christ, where everybody's going to be before God. But there are two thrones which exist. Something's going to happen in this passage. I want you to catch it. We are all going to be at this place, and there's going to be a separation of people. And the great white throne is going to be a place in which those who have books of life are open. All these books are open for that which we have done. And there's this book called the book of life. Boom, is open. The book of life is this representation of everyone who's called on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it's simple here, either guilty or not guilty. And when you come before Jesus, and when you are in the book of life, even though the hot flaming mess that all of us in this room are, we are found not guilty. Whoa, I like this verse. Let's read it. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We see it passes some very key specifics. First of all, there's this great throne. It's shining. The white is the holiness and the purity and the judge seat of Christ. And then we see heaven and earth flee. This is a representation of the power of that is happening, that the creation can't even be in its presence because of the power of what's happening right now at this judgment seat. And all of the dead, everybody who has died from the beginning of time to now is brought before and books 
are open and these books are open and they're judged according to what they have done. But then there is this special book that is open and this special book is the book of life. The book of life separates the group and the book of life now is like, those are mine. Jesus would say, those are the ones who have accepted me and I have taken their punishment for them. They are not guilty. So we're going to pause that for a second. We'll get back to it. So everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who've given their life to him, admit that he had died, taken the punishment of sin, they are now here. Those who have not are over here. And as they go through the books of everything that they have done, this isn't about salvation. It's about you haven't met the mark. Meeting the mark is only Jesus and Jesus alone which means everything that you have done outside, when you are outside of Christ, everything you have done, you are found guilty for. If there was one infraction, you're found guilty. You had one infraction this morning when your eggs didn't boil fast enough. You've already had an infraction. Our infractions are so great, and there's so many books to be written of the terrible things that we have done as humans. And so all of us are absolutely guilty outside of Jesus. And so for those who are at the great white throne, those who are not found free because of the gospel of Jesus Christ are found guilty and put in the same place as the devil himself, demons and evil, because you are found guilty. Clear separation. But listen to this verse in, in John chapter 5, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words, this is Jesus speaking, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed from death to life. So it sounds like there's a lot of judgment going on here. We've got the, this judgment seat, but we're not being judged. And this is what Jesus is speaking of. You are found, whoever believes in him are found not guilty. Those who are outside of Christ have had their shot. They don't want him. You ever think about that? We always think about like poor people are like, their nails are dug in and they're, getting, they're thrown in as they're like, no, don't let me go. I want to be with you, God, forever. Maybe they don't want to be with God because they don't want to be with God now. Maybe you're at that place. I don't want God now. I don't want his way of life. I don't want to be a new creation. So why do you want to be in the place in which everything's a new creation? Why would you want to be in the place where you've got to serve and there's love and there's mercy and there's grace? You don't want it now. Maybe, I don't know, makes sense to me that God is giving you exactly what you want. That this entire thing is that about you didn't want it. You heard the gospel. You said no. You've heard the word spoken. You said, I don't want to be a part of that story. I want my story, my fame, me, 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 me. And so you've got the kingdom of the world, but you lost the kingdom of heaven. This place is nowhere remotely close do I want to be. But then we switch over to believers. And believers now move into who are found not guilty, what's called the judgment seat, also known as this big word called the Bema Seat. Bema Seat does not have to do with salvation. It doesn't have to do with guilty, not guilty. As a believer, you are found not guilty. This has to do with those whose names are written in the book of life. The Bema Seat is where believers are 
judged or your works are brought before him and everything which is done for eternity lasts forever and that which is done for now is burned away. The word bima comes from this Greek word which literally translates to judgment. You're like, look at Jesus. You just said we wouldn't be judged. This is completely different. This judgment seat comes from, it's this beautiful word picture that Paul uses in his writings from the Greek games where contestants would compete for a prize and they, they would have this uh, judges and they would scrutinize, did they follow the rules of the game? Was it done to excellence? And when the victor won, they would approach this large stand and there would be the judge and the platform, the Bema platform. And then the one who won, think old timey, you know, Olympic games, they put a wreath around the head of the victor and that wreath went around to signify, I certify that he has done or she has done everything to the fullest extent. This is the victor of the games. And great, great applause, huge opportunity. You're a superstar if you won the games. And Paul, I think he must have liked sports because he uses analogies quite a bit about running races and he's using analogies of their time, uses this analogy here to remember that this you are going to be before the Bema seat and the great judge of all is going to say, how did you play the games? How did you do? Did you cheat? Did you play by the rules? Did you listen? Did you do things right? So this Bema seat now is this beautiful picture of asking the question, how did you do? 2 Corinthians 5.10, let me read this again. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may give, may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. This isn't about punishment. That's taken care of. The punishment in which you have had doled out on you was all on Christ. But you are accountable for everything that you have done. And everything that you have done matters. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. You are going to have a situation in which your life if made of straw and put through the fires, will be completely burned up. You have nothing left. There's nothing for you, but you are saved. That's it. You're in. Now, what's that mean? It's going to be awesome. And why is God giving gifts? I don't know. It's just what he does because he's awesome. But you are going to get in by the skin of your teeth. You're saved because of Jesus Christ. You have done nothing for the kingdom. There's nothing there, and you've wasted your life. But for those who have built their life on kingdom, who have done and obeyed the teachings of Jesus, you have built it. And what happens then is fire is always a picture of purification in the scriptures, is that your works are going to be purified. And what they would take of these metals, they'd burn it over and over again to remove the impurities. Like your motives. Why did you do that? Jason, why were you a pastor? Because you're narcissistic and like people to listen to you talk all the time? 
Jason, why were you a pastor? Because it paid you a huge salary and you got great new cars? If that's not true, if you didn't know. Jason, why were you a pastor? Why did you preach that message? Fill in your name. Why did you do that? What was your heart? What was your motivation? Because God sees more than just your actions. It's about our life being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if we're doing things, quote unquote, for God to actually fulfill our worldly desires, that will be burned away and gone. That that which we do for eternity, which lasts forever, will be purified. And then our acts and our works are going to be out before us. And the greatest thing we could hear Jesus say is, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I don't want Jesus to look at me and say, meh. I want to hear, well done. That's my boy. I want to hear at the end of my life that what I did mattered. I want to hear that everything I've gone through as a follower of Jesus Christ changed somebody's life and that I was able to make a lasting ripple of love and transformation that transformed our community in the world. That's what I want to hear from my master, but it could all be hidden with a bunch of terrible motives inside. And fire's gonna purify that, friends. And so before Jesus, there is no hiding, there is no being able to try to trick him. He's got it, he knows it, he's the God of the universe. He knew you before you were born. And before him, this melting down process, that which you've done for yourself and for the world is burned away. It's like straw and chaff of beautiful metals, that which is there lasts forever. Now, Jesus, I don't get this. I don't get this. He's preparing a place for us. There's all these gifts in heaven. This is like a whole series we could go into, uh, into what really happens. We, I'll give you, we don't really know. And this is why I think we don't really know. I, I think if we really knew what heaven was like, none of us would be here. If I really knew the extent of the awesomeness of what heaven's going to be, I'd be like, I hear you, Jesus, renewed mind, I'm gone. Like, this is so awesome. I don't want to live here anymore. So he gives us a glimpse to say, work for what I have and trust me that what I have is so good is going to be amazing. And inside of scriptures, we see a, an analogy or a word picture of crowns. Now, these crowns, there's five crowns which are given out for different reasons we see within scriptures. Have you ever heard of that? Or have you heard of the band Casting Crowns, right? That's the elders in heaven. If you've heard of that terminology, they cast their crowns saying, God, we don't deserve anything, which is exactly going to be our posture because if you're kingdom-minded, you're like, why are you giving me anything? I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. I did it because you did everything for me. We don't want rewards from God, but he's a good father and he gives as he chooses. And inside of scriptures, we see five different crowns. I'm going to go over quickly for you as a picture of, um, are they literal? Are they analogies? Lots of different theological thoughts. Regardless, hear this. There is something that's given and something that's rewarded in heaven. First of all, we see a victor's crown in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27. That is for those who serve God with discipline and are focused on things of eternal value. So I'm, just, I'm kind of making it simple for you. Those who are kingdom-minded, everything we're talking about right now, the victor's crown for those who are disciplined, kingdom-minded, are servants who give their life to the cause, that Jesus recognizes this. Secondly, the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. This is given to those who lead others to Christ, the, the crown of rejoicing, that there is this thank you for leading people to Jesus from like, 
I get to lead people to Jesus? What are you going to reward me for? But there's a recognition for those who are kingdom-minded and weren't so bent on their own issues that they say, my life is about advancing the kingdom and advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's a recognition from the God of the universe for this. The crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. That's for those who do not get caught up for things of the world and long for heaven. That there is a righteousness that we choose righteous living instead of living of things of this world. The kingdom is so obsessive to you that righteousness comes on you through the work of the Holy Spirit. So God's working in you and you reject all this stuff that our awesome society offers us anyways, right? The crown of life in James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. Believers who keep their love for Christ through persecution, suffering, temptation, and even martyrdom. People who have to endure hardship for their faith receive this crown of life. A recognition for those who've gone those before us, those who are going through it now, those who go through in the future. There's a recognition of those whose life lived had to suffer greatly because of them following the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5.4. That's given to faithful shepherds of God's people, those who answer the call to spiritual leadership. Doesn't necessarily mean standing on a stage or leaving a congregation. It's our spiritual moms and our spiritual dads. People who are leaders both inside and outside of the church for the kingdom of God. Spiritual leaders taking the next generation, helping new believers, driving the gospel forward and teaching and discipling others. This is pretty serious stuff. And maybe that's why you've heard Nick and I say so many times over and over again, we're done playing church, guys. We're done coming and just doing something. We are here to train and equip you for the life that you have, both here on earth and for eternity. And if you can hear this now, now it's all starting to make sense. We must be new, create, new creations because new creations matter both now and for eternity. I don't want you to go up there and have everything burned away. As your pastor, as your leader, as your shepherd, as your friend, as your brother, I don't want you to see God and he's like, you're in. <laughs> I want him to, I want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to know the glory and splendor of God handing crown after crown after crown. And you're like, I don't want these, Jesus. I give them to you because you are the only one worthy to be glorified. You're the only one worthy of gifts and you are the only one who's worthy of praise. I want that to be your story. That's why we're so serious that this isn't religion or some game. This all really, really matters. Your faith walk matters. What you do today matters. What you say tomorrow matters. And because right now, it is being recorded in the books of heaven. And when they're open, boom. First of all, may you be in the book of life. If you're not, I'm begging you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. Because there's no greater act of love I can tell you right now is that if you do not have him as your Savior, you are not even in the story. You are in the lake of fire. That's just what the scriptures say. Accept him as your Savior now. Two, if you do have him as Savior, I beg you to take your life from this day forward as it matters, because it does. Everything matters. 
for the kingdom. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by, what, by which we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's our name now to be saved. I wish I could say to you, hey, you know what? You've got a hundred more years to live. I'm willing to guess on our current time span that's not true for anybody in this room. I wish I could say that to you. I wish I could say, you know what? You've got as much time. But the truth is, I do not know how many more seconds that you have left to your life, nor do I have of mine. And I've made the decision of this. If I'm going to go down at any time in my life, let me be at the place in which I've given everything that I can to the kingdom. And I'm sorry to say that I don't do it every day. There's some days where I stomp my feet like a toddler and I'm like, I'm just tired of being good all the time. I'm tired of doing the right stuff all the time. And you know what? The scriptures actually tells us, do not grow weary of doing good because doing good wears you out sometimes. And there's times when I'm like, God, I just want what everybody else has. Like a baby, I stomp my feet. So if you're like, you're a foot stomper like me, you get what I'm saying. But what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if what I just said through the word of God is true and that you're going to see the master face to face and the master's going to open the books and he's going to talk about your life and he's going to talk about everything that you've done, both good and bad, not for judgment of punishment, but for what is received to you and that your life matters. If this is true, my friends, and this scripture, I believe my whole heart is true, everything we do matters. And if this scripture is true, there's only one name in which you can be saved. There are not many names. There are not many religions. There's not many, what about this and what about that? Let's stop that and actually go to what the word of God says. There's one name in which you can be saved. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's only by his name we can be saved. And that tension that we feel in there, I wish there were other ways. That's not Jesus speaking. That's you speaking. There's one way to heaven. Only one, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as they come up, I'm going to give you a minute of silence. And as you go there, I want you to close your eyes. I know you're like, I don't want to close my eyes. Um, Just please do, both here and online and those listening to our podcast. Just take a minute. And let's just visualize what this looks like before this throne. Before this throne, it is, it is so bright we can't even look because of the holiness of God, but we make out a figure that is Jesus. And he opens books. My first question to you, my friend, is if he opens the book of life, is your name there? If your name is there, You have to talk about what your life did. If your name's not there, friends, today is the day of salvation. Call on him as your savior today because there's by no other name you can be saved. For those who know him and they start talking about your life, what in your life, if it was gold, how much gold once that goes to the fire is left that was done for eternity? Is there enough to make a crown for you? Is there anything there? Is there there such a huge heap of gold? (laughs) 
You're like, this crown's going to crush my head, Jesus, too much. Or is there nothing there? When you're before him, are you on your knees right now, weeping and worshiping? Are you excited about what he's going to talk about, or are you scared? You're before the God of the universe right now, my friends. What is Jesus about to say to you? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.